Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. An elderly friend of mine, whom I've just, you know, I've, you know, I've been, I've been uh, I was around just about, uh, it's less than two weeks ago that I was around him. And uh, last week, not this past Thursday, but last week Thursday, I just got a call from him. That I just, I, sorry, I just received an email that this elderly friend had passed away. And here was a guy that prior to that Thursday, we thought we were together and we were talking and he said, okay, we'll see, I'll see you next week. And we all parted and very happy, everything went very well. And then the next thing I saw from him was an, from, from somebody that was an email that says this guy has passed on. Now, he was a very, very likable person. And at least I've known him for a while. And we've had opportunity to be able to discuss the gospel. I've had the opportunity to be able to discuss and to share and to hear his perspective about what it means to walk with the Lord. Um, you know, and just like many other people, he was, you know, he, he, he pushed off he pushed off the decision for Christ at that time. That was about a year ago when we had that conversation. I am not sure if he ever had a chance to accept the message of the kingdom until the time he passed on. But one thing I do know is this, that the Lord God Almighty gives us opportunities. He gives us privileges that sometimes may only be a one-time opportunity or there might be a time when you find out that when the Lord gives, you know, gives us an, uh, an opportunity to be able to see certain things, to have access to certain things. And if you don't take advantage of those opportunities at that time, there is a strong probability that you might not have that door open unto you again. And that is why you will notice since the beginning, since towards the late last year, and early into this year, we have been talking about what the Lord will do for us in the new year. The doors that He will open unto us and how we should be prepared to be able to step through those doors. Take advantage of those opportunities. But that is the opportunity to be able to succeed in this side of heaven, in this side of eternity. There is another opportunity that Lord Almighty presents to His people. The opportunity to relate with Him. The opportunity to be able to know the Gospel. The opportunity to be able to give our lives to Him. The opportunity to be able to live our lives in such a way that when we close our eyes in death, we'll be able to have an eternal welcome in His presence. Those are opportunities that some of us have taken for granted. A lot of people have postponed it. They believe that they will always have that opportunity available unto them. My friend, we had that particular conversation. He was the one driving when we had that conversation that day. We were talking about it and he told me idea and everything but for some reason he i mean at that, that very day for some reason he was not willing to make that particular decision and i like i said earlier on i'm not sure if he ever made that particular decision but one thing we do know is this opportunities present themselves what you do with it is a function of 
how well you are going to be able to advance in future. Not only in this side of heaven, but also in eternity. And that's why I want to read a verse of the scripture. The Bible tells us in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, reading from verse number 2, the Bible says, It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For that is the end of all men, and the, li- and the living will lay it to heart. Why did Solomon make this particular kind of statement? Why will Solomon encourage us to hang out with the mourners? Why would Solomon not say that we should spend more time with people who are rejoicing? Why would he want us to be in that particular depressing and despondent environment? There are two basic reasons found in that verse of the scripture. The Bible says, number one, the house of mourning serves as a reminder that life will come to an end for all men. Whether you like it or not, a day will come when you will lift your hands and you will not be able to lift it. When the eyes will not be able to see anymore. When the bodily functions will cease. Like the Bible referred to is where the the soul will return to its maker. And then we, the body, will go back to dust. Whether we like it or not, it's going to happen. That's why why Solomon is saying, the, the house of mourning is a reminder that life will come to an end. Number two reason why Solomon is saying that we should hang out with the dead. Hang out with the people who are, you know, who are mourning. Is that the house of mourning serves as an admonition? It serves as a warning for all to put our affairs in order before, because we do not know when the Lord will call. I mean, my friend, we were together. This is not somebody that they are telling me story. We were together on Friday. I think that Friday should be. Uh, I can't remember the day, but it was the weekend before. You know. The, the weekend be uh, just about se- the second week in January. The last Friday of that, that Friday of the second week in January, we were together. We we're talking, and he said, "Okay, I'll see you. I'll, I'll see you next week." And that was it. You never know. The house of mourning serves as a warning for us when things like that happen. When we, you know, it gives us an opportunity to be able to reset. It gives us an opportunity to be able to recalibrate so that we can put our affairs in order. When we talk about putting our affairs to order, it doesn't mean you just write your will. It doesn't mean that you have to clean house. It simply means that you check your own life to make sure you are in the faith. To make sure that what you are proclaiming as a believer is exactly what you are living. To make sure that there is no gap between your profession and your, you know, and your, and your experience, the way you live your life. So the house of mourning serves as an admonition, a warning to, for all of us to put our fears in order because we do not know when the Lord will be calling. Now, like I said earlier on, this is the beginning of the year. This is the time of the year when we when we have hope of what the, of what the year of what the, the, the new year holds for us. It's a time when we put aside disappointment of the past and make conscious effort at focusing on the promises of the future. It is a time when we take advantage of the opportunities that the year has to offer. But as we take, but this morning, it, I believe that as we celebrate this new year, as we look up to the opportunities, as we look upon the things that this new year will give unto us, it is also necessary for us to be able to take counsel and to warn ourselves about the life that we're living. Because there is no way you can take apart, you can take advantage of the opportunities if you don't have the ability for self-assessment. You have to be able to know how to assess your own life. You have to be able to sit down and be able to say, is the life that I'm living, does it bring glory to the Almighty God? And the profession that I, what I'm saying, what I say I believe, does my life agree with it? Does my life align with that particular thing that I'm saying? 
That was what Paul the Apostle was talking about when he said in the book of, uh, of uh, Corinthians, I think First Corinthians chapter 9, I think in reading from verse number 27, the Bible tells us there, he said, I put myself under, lest after preaching to others, I myself will not be a castaway. In other words, there is a need for self-assessment. There is a need for us to sit down and evaluate our own lives. There is a need for us to sit down and say, okay, here I am. And is my life bringing glory to the Almighty God? There is a scary verse your question. There is a very scary portion of scripture where Jesus Christ said, there are many who will call upon me on the last day, but I will say, depart from me. I know you not because you are workers of iniquity. Will you want, nobody will want to hear that kind of a, that kind of a rebuke from them. Nobody wants to hear that at the end, at the last day. And that is why there's a need for self-assessment. Now, the question is, why do we need this counsel? Why do we need this, why do we need this warning? The reason is because death is a strange and interesting thing. When we talk about death, it is a very strange and interesting and a very uncomfortable subject for people to talk about. Death is strange and interesting because it is the lot of all men. Whether you are old or young, whether you are, you know, you are rich or poor, it is the lot of all men. It is what has been referred to as the great equalizer. Rich men die, poor men die. The Bible tells us Jesus actually gave us that parable. He said there was a there was a beggar called Lazarus. He died, and then the rich man also died, and both of them, you know, they, they have to face eternity with the Almighty. They have to face uh, a few an eternity that they have that they probably prepared for or didn't prepare for. So death is a, is a great equalizer. Death is inescapable and unavoidable. In other words, you cannot sit down in the morning and say, when the death comes knocking, say, okay, wait, I'll probably book an appointment for you next week. We'll talk about it next week. If you can do that, a lot of people would have done it. If they are able to reschedule their time, if they are able to say, okay, today is not a good day for me, maybe you can call me tomorrow. Talk to my secretary, let him schedule a time for you to come and take me. You know, if you can do that, a lot of people will do that, but death is inescapable and unavoidable. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be postponed. It demands attention. It demands your response anytime it shows up and that is why we need to be able to look at ourselves every now and then and give a self-assessment death is has what what is the what is the thing that scares more people most about death is the note of finality it tells you once you cross that particular bridge there is no going back okay once it happens there is no going back that is the note of finality and that is what makes death very very depressing and fearful for some people very fearful. But that is why a lot of people are always very uncomfortable when they go to a funeral service. Or when they walk through the particular uh, uh, internment center. When you go, when you go to when they go to, uh, I don't know the name they call it now. We used to call it graveyard or the burial site. But they call it the cemetery. But there is a, there's a new name that they call it now. Uh, if, if, you, if you go to the instant, they don't call cemetery or funeral. They call it a very uh, something something garden. I can't remember the exact name, but they give it a fancy name right now so that you don't really know that you are going through a cemetery or you are going through a burial ground. Because one thing is that it is too depressing. It is too fearful. It forces you to be able to look at your life. It tells you that you are not as, you are not as indispensable as you think you are. Okay? That life will always go on without you. It gives you that note of finality. And that is why a lot of people are not very happy with it. But the Bible says death from a different point of view. 
The Bible sees death from a different perspective. It sees death as both physical and a spiritual thing. It sees death as something that the Lord Almighty has given us the power over. It sees death as something that can be conquered, something that can be defeated. The biblical view of death is a temporary, is, is, is such that it is temporary and transient, and, and transient in nature. In other words, it's a form of moving from one state to another state. And that's why the Bible teaches about resurrection. So that when you pass from this life, you are able to show up in the next life. It's a movement, it's a transition between one life and the other. That is the view of the scripture. And that transitory view of the dead is what Paul the Apostle was referring to in 1 Corinthians 15. In 1 Corinthians 15, reading from verse number 19, the Bible says, If only in this life we have hope in Christ, we have all people most miserable. What does that mean? It simply means that if all are coming to church in the morning, if all that we do in the church only ends here, if after serving the Lord, at the end of the day, when we close our eyes in death, that is the end of the story. What is the reason for us to be nice? Why is it necessary for us to be good? Why is it for necessary for us to restrain ourselves? Why do we have to live a life of holiness? Why do we have to live a life of righteousness? Why do we have to be a group of people that are nice and are, you know, and are, and are friendly? When other people can live a life anyhow, if this is the end of it, Paul is saying that this is not the end of it because if this is the end, we are the most miserable set of people. Because why are you wasting your time in church? You can party and party and have fun. Because when you die, that's the end of the story. But the Bible makes us to understand that that's not the end of the story. And that's why Paul is saying, if only in this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. In other words, what sets you as a Christian apart from the rest of the world is the hope of eternity that lies inside of you. And we heard it in our, in our, in our life class this morning. It's a matter of life and death. What separates us from everyone in the world is the hope that Christ has given to us on that, Christ, on that cross of Calvary. If death were a permanent thing, if there is no hope of resurrection, we have simply wasted our time in church. That's why Paul is telling us in, in that same 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you read from verse number 51, the Bible tells us that, he said, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall, all, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, death is a transitionary thing. We shall not all we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Every one of us will go through the physical death. But what Paul is saying is that that spiritual death, which is the final death, he said, not all of us will go through it. Only those who have said, who have given their life and they have and they have committed themselves to Lord Jesus Christ, those are the people who will escape it. That is to say, when we eventually die, when we eventually die physically, some of us will wake up in eternal life with the Lord Jesus Christ, and some of us will face the reality of the spiritual death, which is life eternally in the lake of fire, which is the reality. I used to tell people that there are people who like to argue that God will not put anybody in hell. I say, well, if you believe the Bible, that is what it says. I don't have to argue. I don't know. But I like to treat it like an insurance like an insurance policy. When I buy a car, I don't buy a car because I want to go and have an accident. I buy a car to present my to prevent my you know to, to, to protect myself in case I get myself into an accident. If after we die from this place and there is nothing on the other side, what have I lost? Practically nothing. But if at the end of the day we close our eyes in death and there's something at the other end, oh boy. 
Oh boy. <laughs> the Lord will help you at that time. The Lord will seriously help you at that time. The hope of the believer is that the spiritual second death does not apply to them. That is the hope of the believer. That is what makes us happy. Because we know that yes, we are going to close our eyes in death here. But by the time we wake up in eternity, we are going to be with him forever. We are not going to be part of the people who will end themselves, who will end up separated from the Lord eternally. That's why... That's why we are. That's why we place our hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we believe in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we trust in what He has done on the cross of Calvary. Now, many of us sitting here today, this morning, will claim that we have been born again. We have heard the gospel message at one point or the other. If you have attended this church for one week or two weeks, at least you have heard the gospel message. Okay? And the fact that you have heard the gospel message, there are some of us who have actually made a commitment to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. So the question that we are dealing with this morning, the issue we are dealing with this morning, is not whether you have accepted Jesus or not. That's not the issue. Because majority of us here have heard the gospel, and majority of us here have accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's not the issue. The real question this morning is this: If you have already have, if you have already accepted the Lord Jesus Christ, if your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life, if you claim that you know Him, how are you living on this side of eternity so that your exemption from the second death will remain valid when you see the Lord Jesus Christ? How are you living? That's the question. Because the Bible says that every man's work will be tested. Every man's work will be tested. What you build on it. Some of us are going to go through it and we are going to come out with, you know, come out as gold. Some of us will go through it and everything will be burnt. We'll probably just go through and say, I'm glad I made it through. You know, there's some of us, but the thing is that how are you living on this side of eternity so that your exemption from the second death remains valid when you see God face to face? In other words, are you living right? Is your life, is my life pleasing unto the Lord? That is the question. Are you living in the light of eternity? Are you living in such a way that you know that God is coming back to take his people home? Are you living that you are you living in such a way that you have that realization that the death might knock at your door at any point in time? Is that the lead? Is that is that the, is that the, is that the mindset when we live every day? Are you living in the light of real uh, in the light of uh, in the light of eternity? Hebrews chapter 9, reading from verse number 27. The Bible tells us that it is appointed unto man to wants to die. But after this, the judgment. In other words, whether you like it or not, a day will come when we are going to bid this place farewell. For those of us who claim to be Christian, we must live in such a way that we are not part of the final judgments. The question then is, how do you do that? How do you live a life so that you are not part of that final judgment? How do you live our life so that we can avoid the final judgment that is going to come upon the world, come upon the earth? The simple answer is to live in the light of eternity. What does that mean? It means that you live a life conscious of the fact that God is going to come to take his people home. It means that you are going to live a life that you are conscious that there is a final accounting. In living in the light of eternity, what does it mean? Let's look at the book of Hebrews chapter 11. 
Hebrews chapter 11, reading from verse number 23, the Bible tells us there. It said, by faith, when Moses was born, was he three months of his parents, because they saw he was a proper child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he came when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, by choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. The question is, what does it mean to live in light of eternity? What does it mean? To live in the light of eternity means for you to refuse to identify with the world. That's what it means. It means that the world is traveling in a particular direction. The world is living in a particular way. The world understands a particular thing. The world lives by a particular standard. When you live in the light of eternity, you do what? You live your life so that you do not identify, you do not conform to this particular world. Romans, I think Romans chapter 12, reading from verse 1, the Bible says, present yourself a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Almighty God. And then, so which your reasonable service, he said, do not be conformed to this particular world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. The Lord is saying that if you are going to live in the light of eternity, you must refuse to identify with this world. Number two, you must refuse to be distracted from the things of God. Because the world is going to give us all sorts of things. There's going to be all sorts of interesting things that will catch our attention. There's going to be an an allurement to be able to live a life that is contrary to the will of God. If we are going to live in the light of eternity, we must refuse to be distracted from the things of God. Number three, we must refuse to partake of the pleasures of sin. Pleasures of sin, the things that make the, the thing that entertain the world. The Bible says that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. He said these are the things that are opposed to the will of God. The living in the light of eternity requires us to refuse to partake in the pleasures of sin. Number four, the value, you know, refusing living the light of eternity remains that to value the stigma of identification with Christ. It means that you value the stigma of identification with Christ. In other words, you know that the world, the, 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 Jesus Christ is not a popular figure in the world. Jesus Christ is a butt of joke of the late night shows. Jesus Christ is the easiest person we can discriminate against and the ACLU will not raise up arms. Jesus Christ is the, is the, is the, is the punching bag that is easy for everybody to be able to knock against because they know that he's not going to say anything. Now if you identify with Christ, they look at you as not only stupid, but you are a racist, you are a bigot, and every 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 deliberating statement that they can make, it is easy to make against a Christian. The Bible is saying that if you are going to live a life that is in light, if you are going to live in light of the of eternity, you must be willing to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ, even with the stigma attached. You must be willing to do it. There has to be a price. The Bible says that anyone who will come after him must take up his cross and follow him. One of the cross that we take in this particular day and age is the cross of the stigma. It's the cross of the reproach. It's the cross of the ridicule that comes with identification with Christ. If you are going to live in the light of eternity, you must be willing to do that. Number, whatever number I mean right now, we must be willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ. 
You must be willing to sacrifice for the grace sake of Christ. To say, yes, I am willing to pay the price. Whatever it will cost me. Look at that particular rich man that came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, I want to follow you. Jesus Christ said, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. In other words, if you are going to follow me, there is a price attached to it. If you are going to live in the light of eternity, you must be willing to pay that price of walking with the Lord. And not only that, if you are going to live in the light of eternity, you must be mindful of his imminent return. You must be mindful of his imminent return. In other words, you must be, you must have at the back of your mind that this is not your final bus stop. That this is not the end of everything. That a day will come when the Lord Almighty will call and you must be willing. The Bible says that he's going to appear like a thief in the night. The trumpet will sound. And only those who are ready will be able to hear that voice and go up with him. And he gave us a, 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 an illustration with, it, with, a, with a wise virgin. He said there were five that were wise and there were five that were foolish. The wise one, they came and they had an extra oil. Many of the time you hear me sing, give me oil in my land, keep me burning. The reason is because you don't want to just have enough supply for today. You want to have enough supply for today for tomorrow and for the time to come so that when he comes at a time that you are not expecting, you are ready for him. Living in the light of eternity requires a mindset that is expectant of his imminent return. Yes, a lot of people might say, oh, you have been talking about imminent return for about 22,000 years. Why are you not coming? Why are you not coming? If you read the book of Peter, the Bible tells us, it says, a day in the sight of the Almighty God is like a thousand years. And a thousand years is just like a day. In other words, he might show up when we are talking about right now. He might show up when we are still preaching. He might show up at any point in time. The most important thing for the believer is that they must be ready when he comes. And then finally, Living in the light of eternity requires that we must be constantly reminded that there is going to be a final accounting. That is why a student goes to class. A student that goes to class knows that at the end of the semester there's going to be a test. Alright? They know there's going to be a test. If there were no tests, if there were no examination, if there were no, if there were no, if there were no form of assessment, why should you go to class? You can just continue to party and have fun because there is nothing to test. But when you live in the light of eternity, you know that there is going to be a final accounting. You know that God is going to call us to that particular point where He's going to ask us, "What have you done?" And He gave us the illustration in the parable. He said that the particular a particular master came into his own people and gave talents to his own people and said to one he gave five, to one he gave two, to one he gave one. And then he went on a journey and by the time he came back he required an accounting. You have to give account for what you have done. How you have spent your life. Have we spent it in gossiping and in backbiting and in bitterness and in anger and in critical and in, and in, and in criticism? Or have we lived a life that is enriching unto others? All these things we are going to give an account on a day. The day is coming that accounting will be given. So that is how you live. That is how you live in the light of eternity. Now that we have seen that, what does it, what it means to live in the light of eternity? The question is that, what does it take to live in the light of eternity? There's one way to know how to live it. But what does it take to live in the light of eternity? Second Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Reading from verse number 14, the Bible tells us there. What does it take to what, what does it take to live in the light of eternity? In 2 Peter chapter 3, reading from verse number 14, the Bible tells us, Wherefore, behold, seeing that you look for such a thing, be diligent that you may be found in him in peace, number one, without spot, number two. And blameless, number three. 
In other words, Paul Peter is saying, if you're looking up, if you have a hope of his return, if you have a hope of eternity, if you have a hope of spending the of spending eternity in his presence, he said that you must be diligent that when the Lord Jesus Christ comes, or when death knocks at your door, he must find you number one at peace. Number two, he must find you without sport, and number three, he must find you blameless. So what does it take? What does it take to be able to live in life of eternity? Number one, it requires an investment in divine relationship. For you to be able to live a life that is, that for you to be able to live in the life of eternity, you must make an investment in divine relationship. The Bible says that being diligent that you be found in peace. In peace. You may be found in him in peace. In other words, there has to be a relationship. The Bible says that the Lord God Almighty is angry with the sinner every day. The prayer of the sinner, the Bible tells us, is an abomination in the sight of the Almighty God. In other words, the only thing the Lord God Almighty hears from a sinner is the prayer of repentance. And that is where you make peace with the Almighty God. He's saying that if you are going to live in the light of eternity, you must make an investment in making peace with the Almighty God. You must make peace with Him. And that peace comes by you accepting his finished work on the cross of Calvary. That peace comes by when you say, Lord, I am a sinner. I need you to be able to cleanse me from all my sins and forgive, forgive me of all my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. That is what it means. If you are going to live in the life of, in the light of eternity, you must make an investment in divine relationship. And it's not just a one-time relationship. It's not a one-time investment. It's a continuous investment. You continue to work with the Almighty God. If I say I meet a friend, and I want to develop a relationship with that friend, I don't call that friend once every year, if you want to have a good relationship with that person. I don't remember that friend only when I see that friend. Or I don't call that person when I, only when I need something. Only when I say, oh Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me, Jesus, be, amen. And then I walk away. If you have that kind of relationship at one point in time, anytime that your friend hears your voice, say, this person is here again. It's either what does he want or what does he want me to do for him. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening. Thank you.